0: there we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message to find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved check out our website message.org.uk good to see you all beautiful people good to see you all so we are carrying <laughs> Daniel Daniel's good <laughs> Daniel's good uh, anyway it's a privilege to to be able to, to to share with you this morning and this particular quote I came across and I'm sure that most of you would have heard this quote many times before but the quote goes like this the blood of the martyrs is the seed For the church, the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the church, and this is a quote by Church Father, early Church Father Tertullian. Throughout history, we have seen how followers of Jesus have actually faced persecution, but whenever the church faces persecution, the church always seems to grow. There was an effort to extinguish Christianity in China instead of killing them and making them martyrs they decided to scatter them all across china as far from each other as possible they thought if christians are together i guess it kind of a little bit makes sense doesn't it if christians aren't together it would just simply die but as you can imagine that didn't actually happen by sending these jesus followers all across all of china they had enabled the seed of the gospel to be planted across the nation see the scattering produced a massive harvest. Chapter 7 in the book of Acts, we saw the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And we read from chapter 8, starting on verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly man buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. The death of Stephen opened the floodgates of persecution against the whole church. Up to this point, there only had been threats and beatings. But with the stoning of Stephen, things were slightly different now. The heat had been turned up. Things had gone to another level. The church was actually being hunted down. And as I'm reading this particular passage in in Acts chapter 8, I'm thinking, wow, the persecution has started really taking a whole nother level against the Christians. I'm thinking, man, these guys are not playing any games here. This is not just a little casual thing, just a, a little nasty word spoken against them. This is genuine persecution that the early church is facing And I'm thinking about this, and then I'm I'm thinking about the word that Louise brought on Tuesday, which was so powerful. And I I can't help but find myself in the position where what I have to do is just judge myself, judge my heart, and, and ask questions. Man, what would I be doing in this particular situation? How would I react if this stuff actually happened to me? I have to ask myself the question, would my love for Jesus actually be considered a threat to the society that I live for? And I live in? Would my love for Jesus be so real that people will look at him like, oh shoot, he, he's a danger to what's happening within our society? Would people look at my life and look at the way that I act and how I love my brothers and sisters and how I love Jesus and would they say, he is on fire, he's someone that's passionate about Jesus, he's on fire for Jesus. And then I start to ponder and I start to think about people, people that are running so passionately after Jesus. And I know that we all know people, that we all have people in our lives. Maybe we have read books about people that have laid their lives down for the gospel, laid their lives down in order to serve Christ. And as I think about these people, I can't help but think about my dad, the Fonz. I think about my dad and he's someone that genuinely I look up to. And I think about my dad and I think about his love for the gospel, his love about sharing, other, sharing Jesus to other people. And I know I've shared this story before, but there's one story, He has so many stories of just being unashamed about the gospel. There's one particular story happened in the 70s in his home nation, Angola. And um, this is a, a period of time where, where the army had taken over the nation and there was a new regime and there was a law that had been passed that was illegal to gather as a church, preach the gospel or pray in public. And my dad loves Jesus, really loves Jesus. And he loved Jesus back then. And what does he decide to do? He decides to do all three of those things. One night he decides to, not only he's telling people about Jesus, but he decides to go into the woods and and pray and fast and seek God. And as he's doing that, he hears gunfire. And he sees lights kind of approaching him. And he realizes that the soldiers were closing in. And they capture him. As the soldiers look at my dad, they see that he has a Bible underneath his arm. And they start to beat him up with the guns and they arrest my dad. They take him to a cell, and as he's in the cell, one of the top officials comes up to him and says, Before we put you in front of the firing squad, is there anything that you want to say? And my dad simply looks at him and replies and says, Jesus died for you and Jesus loves you. And as he says that, something crazy actually happens. And I'm not even joking, right? I'm not joking. (laughs) as he says that the top official gets overtaken by something something just happens in that particular room and he says to my dad you are truly a man of god please forgive us tell us what do you want us to do and my dad said repent let me preach the gospel My dad prays for them and then he gets released and ends up with a whole bunch of other guys planting one of the biggest churches in the capital of Angola, which currently has something like 45,000 people meeting there, right? It's insane. It's ridiculous. I think about these people that are genuine lovers of Christ. I'm like, God, help me to be one of those people. One of those people that are just passionately pursuing you, chasing after you. And there's thousands of stories like that around the world. But as I'm hearing these stories and I'm thinking about my own family and and, and all the stuff that my family's been through, I can't help but think about the words that Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. He says this, But before all this, they they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. In the midst of the persecution, Jesus is saying that whilst you are being persecuted, see this as an opportunity to bear witness. Opportunity to bear witness. In the midst of persecution, one, we do not lose heart. Jesus says in John 16:33, I've told you these things, so in me you might find peace. In this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in the midst of persecution, we do not lose heart. We stay firm. And two, God uses persecution as an opportunity for us to be heralds of good news, to be his witnesses. The persecution led to scattering. On that great day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Up until now, all ministry and acts had happened in Jerusalem. But here we see the fulfillment of what Jesus actually says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What could be perceived as a stumbling block to the church, persecution, something that would stop the church from growing, from multiplying, actually God utilizes it to advance the mission. The stumbling block at this point becomes a stepping stone for mission. God uses persecution to move his people into the mission field, into the mission that he had given them. Acts 11:19 19 confirms this missionary purpose of persecution. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. We see the gospel spread like wildfire. And amongst those that were scattered, we, see, we, we are introduced to a guy called Philip. Philip is introduced and he's one of the seven alongside Stephen. He goes down to Samaria and proclaims Christ there. Now, let's not just take that for granted. That might just be a small little detail for us, but that carries so much weight. Let's not forget about the historical hostility between Jews and Samaritan. Samaritans, this hostility had lasted for centuries. It started when there was a breakup in the monarchy. Ten tribes defected and made Samaria the capital, and two tribes remained loyal to Jerusalem. Later, the Samaritans built a temple, to ri- a rival temple on Mount Gerizim, and their rejection of the Old Testament scriptures instead of the Pentateuch. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews, considered them half-breeds, half-breeds, not half-breds, half-breeds, half-breeds. And John actually sums it all up in the Gospels. He says that Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. But here as Philip goes to Samaria, we see the story being flipped. And Luke highlights that the Gospel is being preached in Samaria. He doesn't give a specific city. He just says he went to Samaria and the Gospel was preached. Philip had had his life changed by Jesus. Hearts purified. Love overflowing from him. The Gospel has the power to break down any division, any barrier, Philip goes in the power of the Spirit and preaches the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. We see that the word of God is good news and it brings joy. Even though the word of God brought persecution and scattering, this still remains good news. And this is still true joy. Verse 4 says this, Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The scattering enabled people to preach the gospel. And then verse 8 confirms that it brought joy. So much joy. It says that there will rejoicing. Piper says this the word that brings persecution also brings joy. And the joy it brings is so much greater and longer than the trouble it brings. The trade off is worth it. The moment when you speak those life giving words of Jesus, of what he did, and you give an opportunity for people to respond, it brings joy. It's so good when we hear about those 54 young people as Gina steps up to the mic and preaches the gospel and those 54 young people make a response and decision to follow Jesus. We can't help but rejoice. The gospel just naturally brings joy. No wonder why we read about when the son is lost and the daughter is lost and they come back home that the heavens have a massive party. It's just a natural reaction. When the gospel is proclaimed and people find true life, it just naturally brings joy. We rejoice. Sons and daughters have come back home. And we should get, a bit, get excited about that. And what was happening in Samaria was making so much noise. There was so much noise of what was happening in Samaria that Peter and John had to go and check it out. Man, is this for real? Is this really happening? Is God really doing something? Is the gospel being really preached in Samaria? We need to go and check it out. We need to go and see for ourselves. And they travel to Samaria, which again is another big step for them. They travel to Samaria and they see what's happening. And they realize, man, it is real. And what happens? Peter and John lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The people that were once considered enemies, half-breeds, targets of hostility were now welcomed at the table they were now welcomed and they were parts of the family they had received the gospel and been filled with the Spirit. the gospel this is the same gospel that have we received and as I'm reading this and I'm thinking all the stuff that God did in Samaria I'm like God please do it with us God, please do it as, as, as Festival Manchester. As we're coming up to Festival Manchester, I'm thinking, God, would you do that among us? As we go into schools, as we preach the gospel and love our neighborhoods, even if some of those neighborhoods are hostile, even some of the schools might be hostile, would the noise of your salvation be so loud across the Northwest? Would there be a genuine rejoicing and joy because people are going from death to life? Would the rejoicing of people coming to Jesus, churches being planted, people being set free from demonic stuff, would would it be like the the rest of the nation be like, whoa, are you hearing what's happening up there? We need this to happen here as well. Would it be infectious? Would it spread for this whole nation? And I believe that the gospel has the power to do that, to bring genuine transformation. Do it, God. Would your, would your church, would we as your church recapture the confidence in the gospel and genuinely have a love and a zeal for your words and for you, Lord? We don't want to be stagnant or apathetic and, and miss what God is doing. Apathy and lukewarmness, just like Louise was speaking on Tuesday, actually I believe presents more of a danger and a hindrance to the church than persecution actually does. And it rings true the words that Jesus says in Mark 4, verse 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. My goodness, God, would we be a people that bear fruit, genuine fruit. Not long ago, I was in a a meeting with church leaders, which is what I kind of tend to do. Every day, pretty much. Uh, but I was, I was chatting with... with the, hey, hello. I was chatting with, with a group of church leaders in, in a particular neighborhood. And I won't say the neighborhood that I was in. And we were all sat in a circle. And we went around the circle and explaining, you know, what's happening, what you're involved in, da 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 da, da. And, and the majority of the people that were in the room, they were saying, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm closing this church, and I'm, and I'm closing that church, and I'm having to do this to this church, and, and this and that, and all these things that's happening. I'm like... Uh, what no it's not it's not meant to be like that such a sad situation but that does not have to be the narrative see when we step out with boldness preach the gospel faithfully we see God do incredible things as has always happened as we can see throughout scripture in the midst of the persecution of the early church there's a real boldness in the proclamation of the gospel and I wonder if, as, as we see the, the early church just being bold in the midst of all that, I wonder if that's just God answering the prayer that the apostles prayed in Acts 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Instead of saying, God, would you protect us? Would you keep us safe? They pray, You see the threats? You see all that stuff that's happening and saying about us and doing to us? Give us boldness. That should be our prayer. As we go into schools, God, give us boldness as we preach the gospel. In front of young people, give us boldness to preach the gospel faithfully. We don't want to water it down. We don't want to give something that is a a fake representation of the gospel. God, give us the boldness to truthfully speak it. As we do the love where you live stuff is never divorced from preaching the gospel. Those two things are married. As we clean up the streets and we do up gardens and we have barbecues and bring communities together, the gospel is right there in the middle of it. And we preach it faithfully and with confidence. We don't water it down. But as stuff is happening, I generally believe that we, we need to have discernment. As Philip is going for it and, and Peter and John were going for it, an opposing false miracle worker tries to infiltrate We later on read about Simon, the sorcerer, his intention to gain reputation, fame, make money, distort the truth by bringing a distortion of the truth, a lie. We need to have discernment as we're connecting with people, as we're chatting with people. God, give us discernment. I was at um, another church's together meeting, and um, it was great fun connecting with some cool people there. And I had my little stand. I'm at the stand, and then all of a sudden, these two American people come to my stand. Hey, this sounds great. Can we, can we partner with you? I don't know what's the accent, uh, but that's what I'm uh, sorry, Rachel. But like, can, can we partner with you? And I'm like, oh. And then I kind of look at them, and then I see They have like a little badge on them as well, and it says Church of Latter Saints or whatever. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We're not on the same team, mate. Um, This is a bit weird. Uh, Can we partner together? tell you what why don't you just come to the festival and hear about the stuff that we're going to be talking about I reckon it'll change your life um but we, but there's a real discernment that needs to happen right because there'll be people and there'll be stuff trying to infiltrate like oh this is a good idea this is something that we should do I'm like no 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 we remain faithful to what God said we remain faithful to preaching the gospel with faithfulness and with boldness and we don't deviate from that so what does this mean for all of us as we, I guess as we continue to grow as an organization, as we reach more people, as Festival Manchester happens, we need to remember that we might find opposition, we might encounter opposition, but in the midst of opposition, God is with us, Emmanuel. It's not just a Christmas thing, it's a 365 reality, God with us, Emmanuel, God is with us. We need to pray. We need to ask God, give us boldness to carry on. Even if we might face opposition and hostility, give us the boldness to carry on. We do not compromise. We preach the gospel faithfully. We do not water it down. We remember that we are not cheap grace people. We've been saved by amazing grace. Not cheap grace people. And we ask for discernment. And we go in the power of the Spirit. But we remember that in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this gospel being proclaimed, joy comes forth. My prayer, God, would you do it? Would there be a genuine rejoicing of people going from death to life, sons and daughters coming back home for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.